sermon will respond to the proclamation of the gospel by singing together Psalm 33, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is worship? What does it mean to worship God? In quite a lot of the psalms that we sing very regularly, in the hymns as well, we proclaim and sing about our desire to come before the Lord in worship. The worship of God is the thing that defines your part of the relationship, doesn't it? You, as the people of God, you have a relationship with God. Right, He acts toward you in a certain way, and your part of the relationship is that you worship him with your entire life. And this morning, without unpacking everything having to do with the liturgical elements of the church, and without crusading against you know, forms of false worship, that's another topic for another day, let's suffice it to say that Our worship of God is a response to everything that God is and everything that he has done. And of course, all these things, all these things that he is and that he does are known to us through his word. It's because of the glorious revealing of who God is, especially as he is for us through Jesus Christ, that our hearts are turned to God in true and sincere worship. Our God has done such wonderful things for us. Our God, in doing all of these things and showing himself in all these ways, we recognize our God to be so wise, so good, so loving, so holy, that we bow before him, we adore him for all of this. We praise and magnify his name forever Because we acknowledge the Lord God, our Father, through Christ. And you see, that's the function of doctrine for the people of God. Doctrine is this word that, if we're not careful, it can convey some sense of what it is not. It can convey some sense of, you know, boring Dusty, dry theology that, that is just, you know, cerebral, something that lacks heart and passion. But of course, that's not the case. Doctrine is the truth. It's the wonderful, beautiful truth of who God is. Doctrine leads to the adoration of God. Doctrine leads to worship. It's through the doctrine of the gospel that you are equipped and prepared to really admire and love the Lord your God. And so this morning, we'll consider just one of the very profound and deep truths that God has revealed about our salvation, and and that's God's decree of salvation. And yes, this isn't something that that is just theoretical and theological and boring and dry that fails to touch down on our lives. No, the doctrine of God's decree of salvation is so wonderful. God's love and faithfulness 
is shown so clearly in this that we delight. We delight in this. We delight in Him, and we worship Him because of it. So this morning, let's delight in God because of this. Delight in God's decree of salvation. We're going to see three aspects of this. In the first place, God's decree of salvation is eternal. We'll see in the second place that it is in Christ. And then finally, we'll see that God's decree of salvation makes us holy. So first of all, God's decree is eternal. So yes, once again, when when we as God's people are learning things like this, things that can be very deep and complex, things that are very large topics in theology, we have to resist the idea so strongly that this is that this is that this is dry and, and theoretical. That that doesn't have a, a practical impact on your lives as Christians. This is a beautiful knowledge of God that, that changes your hearts toward Him. When we understand things like this about God, our hearts are made not only to be impressed with with the magnitude of his, of his greatness, but, but also turn to him in love because this great God is our God. These things that he is doing, he's doing for us, for our benefit. He's doing as someone who is lovingly related to us, and that's, that's so deeply personal for us. He is the God who has made himself our God. He has given himself to us in love. And and this doctrine of salvation is how he has done it. How did he do it? So, the decree of God. The decree of God's election. The text that we have this morning, Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, along, along with that entire surrounding passage, this is one of the clearest Testimonies in Scripture about the decree of God's election to salvation. God's plan from the very beginning. God's purposes. God's goal. What, what does he have in mind? What is all this you know, steering toward? This is all God's purpose that he conceived before the world even began. Before before the creation of space, before the creation of time itself, and knowing that this is the case, and this is the way that, that God is, and this is how God has, has done all of this, this causes us to worship Him. And that's actually how our, our text starts, isn't it? it? They're words of worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship him because of this. Bless his name, worship him, adore him, because this is what he has done. Bless him who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, Before the foundation of the world, all of this has been in place. Before anything at all ever existed. Before even the creation of time and space, God had this. 
in his mind. God had you in his mind. Before God called into existence the galaxies, the stars, the comets, the planets, the oceans and oceans and, and the oceans and, and, and mountains and everything else in it, God had in his mind today. March 19, when the people of God would be gathered together, lifting up his name, praising him and acknowledging his wonderful salvation. All of this was in place before the foundation of the world. Think about all that has occurred in the history of this vast universe, how much time has passed. You backtrack all the way to the very beginning at the birth of the universe. Before, before that, there was, there was nothing except eternal God. And in that eternity, God held all this in his mind. God was planning that you would be his. Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, so, and even before that, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Like you were meant to be holy in his sight. We have that in Ephesians 1. That you would be to the praise of his glory. That you would be holy and blameless before him. He knew your name. He knew how many hairs you would have on your head today. He knew what you would have for breakfast this morning. He knew what color your shirt would be today. He knew and determined how many breaths you would take from the time you woke up this morning up until this very second. There's nothing that is outside of the decree and counsel of God. His decree is comprehensive. It's over everything. There's nothing that occurs. Nothing. There's nothing that occurs on the face of the earth apart from his decree from before the foundation of the world. Right, and I'll do a little illustration here. Something, something at random. I'm going to pick up in some object from the pulpit here. I haven't decided yet which one that is going to be. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pick this up. Out of all of the objects that are here on this pulpit that I could have chosen from, I ended up picking up this copy of the liturgy. And we have to understand that, and this is so mind-boggling for us to even begin to comprehend, before the mountains were there, if you've gone out into the mountains in Jasper and Banff and seen how, how steadfast these things are, you, you, you look at the size of these objects in God's creation, you really get a sense of how permanent and steadfast all of this is and, and, and how many millennia these things have been there, rooted to the ground. Before those things were there, before stars were there or galaxies or, or anything, when there was only God in eternity, he had in mind and he, as part of his decree, knew that this is the thing that I would pick up and not one of these other things. How incredible is that? This is our great God. 
all, it, it is inconceivable. He not only determined the fact that you would be his, which we have in our text here, but, and we, we have in other places as well, 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So he not only determined just the fact that you would be his, but he determined precisely how he would bring you to him and, and care for you and sustain you through his divine providence, and, and that encapsulates everything in your life. The things that you wouldn't even give a, give a moment's thought to, those things are included in the eternal decree of God. Now, we read from Genesis chapter 3 this morning because it's important that when we're meditating on the enormity of the subject of God's decree, that it doesn't stay just theoretical, right? We're not just simply amazed at the power of God that such a being would be out there. We're not simply amazed at his ability to do such a thing, but we're awestruck that his purposes are for our salvation and therefore the glory of his name through Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the purpose of God. The magnification of his name, and he has tied together the glory of his name with your well-being. He's bound them together. Your well-being is one of the goals of the decree of God. His son Jesus Christ is the focus of his purposes. How many times in this passage that we read from Ephesians does Paul stress this? That all of this is in Christ. We're not just learning facts about the decree of God, but we're confronted and humbled and overwhelmed by the love of God in his decree. Yes, he ordained which snowflake would fall at what time and what place, and that's incomprehensibly amazing, but what overwhelms our hearts what overwhelms our hearts is the fact that all of this is steered for your salvation. Because of God's love for you. At the very beginning, immediately after the relationship with God was shattered by the fall into sin, God revealed what was already his plan that deliverance from our sin would come through the seed of the woman, the descendant of Adam and Eve who would be the Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Genesis 3, verse 15. It's already there. God says to the serpent, the, this embodiment of the devil, he says this, he promises this for our benefit so, so that we can recognize that this was already in place. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then there's this glorious, the first utterance of the promise of salvation. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the mother promise. <clears throat> this is the first sort of whisper, the first 
ripples of God's promises of salvation. After Adam and Eve fell into sin and plunged the world into sin and death, God promises that salvation would come and it would come through Jesus Christ. If God didn't teach this, teach so clearly about the nature of his decree from before the foundations of the world, we might conclude, as some do, this is, this is something called open theology or open theism, we might conclude that this rescue plan was sort of a plan B, right? We might think that, okay, this is what God did. God, God first planned to create the world, and, and so he created it, and he wanted above else that it would stay perfect, and everybody would be perfectly obedient, and nothing would ever go wrong, and then suddenly everything goes off the rails, Adam and Eve sin, and now God sort of has to scramble, and come up with, with a way somehow to fix all of this. And he comes up with this amazing rescue plan, and the plan was to send his son to save us, and he, and he brought it all to pass. Well, no, that's, that's not how it went. What did we read in Ephesians 1 verse 4? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the world was created, before the fall, before anything at all, God had already determined, he had already decreed that the world would be created, that human beings would reject him, and that this plan of salvation would be carried out in Jesus Christ. It's not plan B, it is the plan all along. And this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing to understand. Right? Why? Why? What's the difficulty? What's the difficulty in believing that? Well, it's because it sort of makes it look like God is to blame for the fall into sin. If this is something that he decreed, if all of this is, is part of his unchangeable counsel, that the fall into sin would happen, well then, how is he not the author of sin? How could he not be the prime cause of sin being in the world? Well, in the first place, we have to believe and profess and, and confess unapologetically that, yes, God decreed that all of this would take place. But we have to understand that our God takes into account or makes use of the choices that human beings have. When he created Adam and Eve, he endowed them with, with this wonderful gift of free will, the ability to choose to either love God or to reject him. And he accounts for and he uses the choices of human beings in his plan and, 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 and the wills that he created us with. So, I mean, think back just a, a moment ago about the example I used with, with the object that I picked up. Yes, that was decreed, that was included in the decree that God made. But I can assure you that I used my faculty of, of choice. 
theoretically, I, I could have chosen to pick up any object from here, but I chose with my will to pick up this. So God makes use of the faculties of, 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 of will and choice. He makes use of these things, includes them in his decree, in his, in his eternal counsel. God's policy is that he is always against sin. Full stop, right? That's the only stance that God has regarding sin. He commands that we obey at all times, but he is able, as God, he's able to decree that the, something like the fall would happen without being the author and the cause of sin. Right, and so, and so the follow-up objection to this is, okay, well, maybe, maybe he didn't cause it, and he isn't, therefore, to blame for it because, because of our choice, our will, okay, it, we did it, right? We caused the fall into sin, so it's our fault, but he could have prevented it. He could have prevented it. Why didn't he stop it? <clears throat> Why didn't God create the world in, with such a state of affairs that, that, it, that the fall into sin would be impossible? Well, all of this is because His Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Redeemer, He is not only the agent through, which, through whom salvation comes, but He is the goal. We were chosen in Him, not just through Him. It's not only that He is our rescuer, but the glory of Jesus Christ is the purpose and the result of all of this. Colossians 1 verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, talking about the Son of God here, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This whole plan results in the exaltation, the worship of the Son of God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now what? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that, right, this is the purpose, this is the goal, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the goal. That's the result. We worship God. The result of the decree of God before the foundation of the world is that we worship, we praise Him, we thank Him, we are in love with Him. We give our lives to Him in love and dedication because we've been united to Him in such a deep and profound love. And in case we're wondering, yes, that too is something that Paul points out is included in God's decree. He chose us in Christ 
He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world for the glory of Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is putting into effect right now. This is being worked out even this morning before our very eyes. God is putting into effect right now in you the thoughts that he had in his mind from before the, the world began. He's using, he's using his word, the proclamation of the gospel to cause you to worship him and his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ who redeemed you by his blood is also renewing you with his Holy Spirit to be more and more his image, to make you more and more holy and blameless before him. What a goal. What a lofty and beautiful goal. This is something that we look forward to when we think about our existence and activity in glory. What are we going to be doing? We're going to be before God in his presence, enjoying his glory, enjoying his fellowship, praising him for it. Your holiness, your dedication to him, this is the goal of the decree of God. This is the goal of this sermon today. This is, this is why we're here. Not for, not for some theoretical knowledge, some dry, dusty, complex theology, but we are here so that the awesome glory of God is revealed. So that your hearts are turned to Him in love. So that your lives are dedicated to, in love to God, to your Lord Jesus Christ, so that you may be holy before Him, that you may worship, that you may worship. Amen.